Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the FT's US Election Countdown podcast. I'm Sam Fleming in Washington, D.C. And I'm Jeff Dyer in D.C. with Sam. And I'm Dimitri Sevastopoulos in Denver, Colorado. So it's once again a, an eventful week on the campaign trail. We had the vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and uh, Tim Kaine, uh, Tim Kaine being Hillary Clinton's running mate. I think it's fair to say it was a polished performance uh, by Mike uh, Pence, uh, Donald Trump's running mate. Uh, he certainly seemed pretty presidential in the way he presented himself. Uh, the big concern for him was that uh, he was really unable to deflect some of the uh, the, the, the statements that uh, Tim Kaine was throwing at him in terms of uh, statements by Donald Trump himself. I'd be interested to get your reaction, Dimitri, to the debate. I think that if Hillary Clinton ran circles around Donald Trump in the first presidential debate, then Tim Kaine suffered the same fate at the hands of Mike Pence. Pence, as you said, he was just he was more polished. He looked more presidential. Uh, he sounded better. Uh, Kaine, in contrast, kept interrupting Pence. Uh, he looked like a kind of a small school kid who was trying to interrupt the teacher the whole time. And while it's true that Pence was clever, that he didn't take the bait from Kane. He didn't respond to any of the attacks on Trump that Kane made, uh, and in fact, he basically denied that Trump had said a whole slew of things that we know to be true. But for people watching on television, it looked like a much more polished performance. And I think, uh, generally speaking, people thought that he had the upper hand. And you know, when people stop watching those debates, they leave with kind of an impression of of, of style more than one of substance. And I think on style, Pence was the clear winner. Does, is it helpful for Donald Trump that uh, his running mate was so polished in the performance and so uh, effective at sidestepping bear traps? And by contrast, Trump himself obviously fell into a number of bear traps when he was debating against Hillary Clinton and was anything but polished. He appeared not to really have prepared enough for his debate against Clinton. Does that hurt Donald Trump or does it not matter? Do people feel reassured that his uh, running mate, at least, is very well prepared? I don't think it hurts uh, Donald Trump. I mean, I think the one lesson you can take away is that actually Donald Trump, who was watching and, and tweeting at the same time as, as Mike Pence was speaking, he could probably take a couple of leaves out of Mike Pence's playbook and try some of the same things when he meets Hillary Clinton on Monday night in St. Louis, Missouri. But, you know, as as we know, Donald Trump doesn't, uh, he's unpredictable. And uh, I suspect we'll have to wait and see what happens on that front. I guess the, I agree with everything Dimitri is saying about the debate, and Mike Pence did come across as much more presentable, much more effective performer. But the one problem they might have is that he, on various occasions, he basically denied certain things that Donald Trump has actually said about about women, about immigrants, about about Mexicans. And so he's given the Clinton campaign an excuse just to spend the next few days recycling all those comments that Donald Trump has actually said and pointing out that Mike Pence was just denying reality. So while I think he won on the night, he might have left an opening to the Clinton campaign to do quite well in the post-debate conflict. Now, one of the uh, key states where people will be watching in the next few days just to see whether there was any impact um, from the debate is Ohio. 
Dimitri, you've been there um, recently. You've written a big page for the FT on Ohio. The story goes that the state has voted for the winning presidential candidate in every election since 1944, uh, with the one exception of siding with Richard Nixon in 1960. Uh, What did you find when you were doing your reporting in Ohio? Well, Ohio is fascinating. I mean, it's actually only voted for the loser in the presidential election twice in 124 years. And it's seen as the best bellwether of the American presidential election. So I spent two days in the urban areas around Columbus, Ohio, and a couple of days in the east, in the Appalachian region, where Trump is particularly strong. There's two interesting things happening. In the east, uh, white, blue-collar Democrats are shifting over to Donald Trump. They're not shifting to the Republican Party, per se. They just think that Trump is offering answers to their woes, which includes jobs leaving because of globalization and, and trade deals that they consider to be unfair. So you're seeing huge numbers shift across, and Trump is very strong in that part of the country. On the other hand, in some of the urban areas, Donald Trump has struggled with white-educated Republican women, and college-educated Republicans because of a lot of his divisive rhetoric over the last year. Now, in the month leading up to the debate, he actually improved with both of those groups, and he has moved ahead in Ohio. He's roughly five points ahead of Hillary Clinton. She is desperately trying to uh, peel off some of these Republican women, bring them into her camp, and hope that that will uh, offset the gains that he's making in the east of Ohio. On the other hand, Ohio may not be a bellwether anymore. The the population is much more white than much of the other uh, states in the U.S., and it's it's less diverse. And the, and the while other states in America are becoming increasingly diverse over time, Ohio really hasn't changed very much. So it's kind of prime territory for Donald Trump, and it could be a case that Donald Trump could win Ohio and that the state would actually vote for the loser for the third time uh, in the last 125 years or so. So Ohio, perhaps not as big a bellwether as it used to be. Jeff, you've been in another uh, another state, which is a critical one in, in this uh, election, namely North Carolina. Both are candidates throwing big resources into North Carolina. Um, it is uh, one of the key battlegrounds. Your focus is on veterans in North Carolina who are 9% of the population there, so a critical part of the electorate. What, what are you finding in terms of what's driving their voting decisions? What's interesting about a veteran vote, especially in a place like North Carolina, is, is one of the main claims of the Trump campaign is it's going to find these pockets of mainly white voters who, who haven't really turned out elections in the past but are going to be very infused by Donald Trump, by his personality and by the kind of populist message that he's put forward. Uh, and one of the potential pools of those voters is amongst the veterans, big veteran populations in places like North Carolina and Virginia, some of whom have not voted in the past. And it turns out that actually the Republican National Committee, even long before Donald Trump ever became the candidate, was already working quite hard to try and find those veteran voters in places like North Carolina to turn them out. It's potentially it's a very fertile territory for a Republican candidate. There's a lot of resentment amongst veterans about things that have happened, particularly in the Obama administration, but also in the Bush administration, the veterans administration, mismanagement, scandals at hospitals, long waiting lists. There's a whole series of issues which veterans are very upset about and so that they could potentially become be interested and more engaged in this election. The problem the Republicans are having is the various things that Donald Trump has said that are going to, going to put off veterans. Uh, he, he famously had a big bust up with John McCain during the primaries where he said that John McCain wasn't a real hero because he got captured during the war, even though he spent five years in a Vietnamese POW camp. He had this famous spat with the Cannes family during the Democratic Convention. They're the, the, the father and mother 
of a Muslim soldier who was killed in Iraq. And then even just this week, he, he created some friction with veterans groups when he was appearing before a veteran audience in Virginia, and he suggested that a post-traumatic stress disorder was not was a sign of weakness if a soldier got there. It wasn't a sign of strength, and that caused a, a lot of resentment among veterans groups. So it's one of those one of those demographics, on those groups, that potentially Republicans could do well in this election, but Donald Trump is in lots of ways getting in the way. Dimitri, what have you picked up from your own conversations with veterans, be it at Trump rallies or Clinton rallies or elsewhere? Well, I think certainly when you talk to veterans, uh, you'll find very few people who think that the the comment about the army captain who was killed in Iraq uh, was a smart thing to do. And I'm sure that his comments about PTSD will not go down well in families who are dealing with the ramifications of that illness. Um, but a lot of veterans uh, are struggling in America in terms of getting jobs when they come back from uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. You have a lot of veterans in some of the areas uh, which are doing badly economically. So when I was in Ohio, I was told that Ohio traditionally is not a huge military state. There aren't that many military bases there. But as economic conditions in the east of the of the state have deteriorated, a lot of families have seen their, their sons and, to a lesser extent, their daughters go off to war because or, or join the military because they had no other way of finding employment. So it's a sensitive issue. And I, but I think there's an overlap between kind of Trump's core supporters, the people who are upset about the state of the economy and, and the lack of jobs uh, in their regions, and, and veterans. So I think, actually, I hear from a lot of veterans that they support him. Um, and they like they like his kind of what they see his his uh, straight talk message. So Sam, one of the things I hear on the road a lot is that there are some of the polls that we see underestimate the support for Trump because uh, you independent voters and more moderate Republicans are afraid to tell people they support Trump because they don't want to be accused of being racist or they may not like his rhetoric but they prefer him to Hillary Clinton but they just don't want to tell their friends that. You did a piece uh, on polling this week. What did you find? Well, there's this this question which has been raised by Kellyanne Conway, um, uh, Trump's campaign manager, as to whether the polls are under-recording the support for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, this, this We've summarized this uh, as the shy Trump voter, the idea that uh, when a pollster comes calling on the, on the phone and says, who are you voting, some voters uh, voting for, some voters will be reluctant to say they're supporting Trump because of some of the controversial things he's said, uh, and therefore that the polls may be under, at least the telephone polls, where you're talking to another human being as opposed to the internet polls, the telephone polls may be under-recording uh, Trump's uh, support. What, what we did was, was really talk to some of the pollsters who are doing th- this work and re- universally no one is, seems to be uh, finding that this um, theory um, is, is, is backed up by the evidence and uh, you can t- uh, look at the primaries for instance where the polls were fairly accurate um, in terms of predicting how people uh, support and certainly weren't under recording uh, Mr. Trump's uh, outcomes there. So the shy Trump voter um, which um, the shy Trump supporter which is, which is an alluring theory in some ways and certainly would ought to be concerning to, to Hillary Clinton if it's true, uh, doesn't seem to be panning out. Now, that doesn't mean that the polling story is a straightforward one by any means. Uh, there are, there, and what, what you do really pick up by speaking to pollsters is the multiplicity of outcomes that depend on the assumptions that plug, uh, pollsters are plugging into their models in terms of which demographic groups will show up in the polls, um, what will turn out be compared with last time, and then some of the methodological issues that they come across when they're doing, should they be doing telephone polls or should they be doing internet 
polling, um, what are the problems with internet polling, which is a huge growth area, but which is in some ways uncharted territory, and there are very different ways of doing it. So no one is is saying the polls are 100% accurate. Um, really, the question is um, how how do you gauge the these how do you gauge the outcome from all these different methodologies and polling um, polling assumptions? Um, the the overriding message is watch the 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 overall picture from the average from the averages from all the all the polls pulled together by the various aggregators don't necessarily fixate on individual polls and that ought to give you a fairly a broad brush idea of where the electorate sits and certainly to date um, Hillary Clinton has for most of this campaign been marginally ahead of Donald Trump so Tom so this week I'm going to uh, interview a woman that I met at a rally a few months ago I'm interviewing her again and she told me the other day that she was the first person in her neighborhood to put up a Trump sign and in her front yard. And after she did that, the other neighbors started coming over for coffee and quietly saying to her, do you think it's okay for us to put up Trump signs now? We're a little bit nervous about what people might think. So that's the kind of thing I hear. But the, something interesting I heard on the other side uh, is that in Republican areas, so for example, in Columbus, Ohio, Delaware County, which is very Republican, but has a lot of educated Republicans who are a little bit wary of Trump, you have people who are going to support Hillary Clinton, but are, there's no way they're going to put a Hillary Clinton sign in their front yard because for them, they're not leaving the Republican Party. They're just going for Hillary Clinton while Donald Trump is the candidate of the Republican Party. So, you know, we're not going to know the answer to any of these things till November 8, but it's certainly fascinating to look at. I agree. And you can you can actually look at the, the, the lawn sign uh, syndrome as perhaps a sign of the polarized nature of this election, just just how strong the antipathy is for the other candidate, for those who don't support the other candidate, the favorability ratings um, extremely low. And and really, as I say, just how strong the feelings are about these about these two candidates, which could be one one example of that could be people's reluctance in certain situations to put signs declaring their affiliation on their front lawn. One of the fascinating things in eastern Ohio was I was sitting in the Republican headquarters in two counties, Mahoning and Columbiana. And as I was sitting there, you had unemployed coal miners and other people who are in economically distressed conditions coming in and spending 4 and $5 to buy a Trump yard sign. Now, in no election in, in past history have people paid for yard signs. Sometimes it's hard to give them away. So there's something interesting happening. Sam, is there a phenomenon at all of the shy Clinton voter? I'm thinking of you know, a millennial who's cut its cable cord, only has a mobile phone, very hard for the pollsters to, to get a handle on that maybe they're not being properly polled or properly canvassed in this election. Yeah, I think that's a real a, a real issue. And it's something pollsters are very uh, aware of. How do you reach millennials? Certainly, if you call people's landlines, uh, you won't necessarily get through. Uh, in fact, a lot of people don't have landlines anymore. They reply, rely, rely entirely on mobile phones. That's, that's not a new problem. So it's something pollsters uh, think they're on top of. But no one's ever uh, convinced that, uh, you know, that you're getting exactly representative if you just call, do a random uh, set of calls. Um, you're more likely to get an older voter, for instance, on the phone than a millennial voter. So it just makes the pollster's job harder in terms of actually doing their research. But this is not a mystery to them. They're extremely aware that this is a, a, a pitfall. And it's something that they say they are trying to correct for. 
Well, I think I'll wrap it up there. Um, that's it for us this week. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm uh, Sam One Fleming. Uh, we all have at Demi for Dimitri and Dia Jeff uh, for Jeff. Do sign up for our daily campaign trail newsletter, White House Countdown, at ft.com forward slash NBE. That stands for News by Email. Again, that's ft.com forward slash NBE. Do also download FT Politics wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Acast. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.